Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Welcome to the podcast of the Practice Manager webinar recorded on Wednesday the 9th of June. So welcome everybody and welcome to another of our Practice Manager Updates webinars. So um, as usual, we're recording this and it will be available afterwards um, to listen to as a podcast or to watch as a recorded webinar because we've just got a few slides later. And we were delighted to, we've got Helene with us again today and her CQC webinar. So 397 um, downloads of the CQC um, webinar we, we um, ran, which is absolutely fantastic. So we know that maybe it's sometimes hard for you to join us live, but we know you're listening to it afterwards and we know it's useful. So um, it's lovely to have um, that encouragement for us. And we're just going to share a few topics with you today, again today, as we normally do. And without any further ado, um, I shall hand on over to Lisa Harding, who's going to start off with a little bit of travel for us today. Uh, thanks, Louise. I'm just going to start off with a very brief contract reminder, and then I'm going to um, hand over to, to Helene. So I know that you all know this, but we thought that it might be useful to just include a reminder that as part of the 2021 contract changes, vaccinims became an essential service rather than an additional service, which is what they've been before. Um, so practices should offer all routine pre and post exposure, exposure vaccinations and NHS travel vaccinations covered by the previous additional service to their eligible patient population. Um, we often also get asked, patient practices should also provide appropriate information and advice to patients about vaccinims. Um, and just on funding to confirm that the element of the global sum that related to the additional service for vaccinims has been retained in full um, and it continues to cover travel vacs and pre-post prophylaxis vaccinations. So that was all I wanted to mention and now I will um, hand over to Helene. What we thought we'd do is obviously um, you're all being told to start reintroducing certain activities that perhaps been put on hold during COVID. We have been informed by quite a number of practices that patients are now coming to ask about travel vaccinations. Um, and we thought it'd be really good to sort of try and preempt this because we appreciate this, that you're all working extremely hard in general practice and it's about prioritizing the workload. So it's being a bit proactive really. Um, so these are some of the suggestions we thought you could think about to perhaps educate patients um, because we all know giving travel vaccinations can be very time consuming, particularly if family are involved. Um, and you may want to think about having a link on your website or um, maybe having a practice um, leaflet that you can give to patients. We're always faced with those patients who book a holiday last minute and ring you up and say, can I have my vaccinations tomorrow? That really isn't that practical. Um, and you may decide as a practice that you would like, you want to redirect them to one of the travel clinics. So um, it's encouraging patients really to be prepared in advance. And um, so tell them about, you know, you might want to think about saying at least six to eight weeks in advance them to book um, a clinic. Um, and the other challenge, of course, is that often these patients don't require just one vaccine. They need a series of vaccines. Um, it's also really, really important to direct them to the relevant websites. Um, we have had some questions come through, understandably, um, where some practice nurses have been faced with patients who are asking for vaccinations to travel to those countries that are currently on the amber and red list. Now, some of those may be being prepared for when these things open. Um, however, it's a bit of an ethical dilemma, really. And we do suggest that you document in the patient's notes that you have advised them to check with the government website. 
there are other vaccination um, and travel websites available, such as Travel Health Pro and NHS Fit for Travel, um, as we have on the uh, on the slide here. Um, and patients can register on the government website actually if they want to travel to specific um, countries to have an email update, and they will send them through a regular email update if things are changing. Some countries require proof of vaccination. And this is called the ICVP, um, which is the International Certificate of Vaccination or Prophylaxis. It's rather a, a large, long word. Um, and even if the ICVP is not required, it's still a good idea to take a record um, to encourage the patient to take a record of the vaccinations uh, with them. Um, I think we've covered most of this, actually. I think we've covered some of the content of this slide, but obviously the pharmacies can also offer vaccination clinics, which is another offer. Um, and remember that not all vaccinations are free in the NHS and patients may be told that they need to charge. Um, so the vaccinations that are still available are polio, typhoid, hepatitis A and cholera. Um, and as again, we would um, reiterate that it's really remembered to check the government website because things are changing all the time. Um, and Michelle will give you some updates shortly actually on those patients that may be in a foreign country and they can't get back. Um, so yes, thank you. Thank you, Helene. Yeah, that was great. Um, I think that's probably all on travel for that little bit, but we're going to get to Michelle now, who's going to talk a little bit about face masks. Linking on to that um, topic, I know we've had a number of practices come to us saying that some airlines are requesting uh, letters from their GP uh, to say that they are exempt from wearing a face mask. Uh, the BMA have been very much uh, on this and to say that there is no requirement for written evidence. Uh, there's no contractual obligation for practices to provide this. If you choose to do it, you can charge for this, but actually you don't want to be distracted from having to provide these these letters. Um, I believe that the BMA are trying to negotiate uh, with the NHS England and some of the airlines around removing this requirement and, and removing it from GPs. So uh, just if you get any requests, you don't have to provide it, but if you choose to, you can charge for it. So moving on around the deregistration, so we've had a couple of queries from practices around patients who are potentially um, stuck abroad and uh, asking for consultations and medication whilst they're um, um, out of the country. It's really just to highlight that there are GMS and PMS regulations um, around this and to mention that within the GMS regulations, you need to ensure that anybody that's out of the country for three months or more, that you do need to uh, deregister them. However, what I would say is you need to take this on an individual basis and look at potentially where they are in the uh, where they are in the world and whether there is any ability for them to get back into the country. But there is, as I say, a GMS regulation that requires you to remove any patient that's abroad for more than three months. And I think that was for me. I'm going to pass you back over to Helene, who's going to talk a bit about spirometry. Thank you, Michelle. Um, obviously, we've had a number of questions coming through about when should practices restart spirometry. <clears throat> spirometry is not an aerosol generated procedure that's been agreed. However, the ARTP um, only a few weeks ago, and I think we have shared this both in our newsletters and it's on our website, have stated that um, spirometry can be reintroduced in general practice. However, we would strongly recommend that um, you do a careful risk assessment. It's quite complex. There are quite strict infection control, infection control um, regulations in place. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and the BMA have um, actually updated um, 
that some information on this today. Um, it's not the important thing is to undertake a risk assessment um, because there are some major issues, as I said, around infection control. And it's the cleaning of the room and disinfe disinfection, contamination afterwards can be a quite a complex problem. Um, and it's all to do with room changes and things like that. Um, it's important that practices prioritise patients who really do need a diagnostic spirometry um, and you may want to consider doing this at a PCN level or through a, um, uh, a uh, diagnostic hub. Do you want me to add? Yeah, Helen, I think, yeah the, the only other element, I think um, you've summarised it absolutely. I think the only other thing that we wanted to um, reiterate, which is the BMA's view, which is something that we would echo, is that this should be a locally commissioned service. Um, so we will be speaking to CCGs about this. Lovely, thank you. And thank you very much, Helene. That's really useful. Did you want to come in? Can I just add yeah, yeah, one thing to it? As you probably know, the ARTP, some, well, not sure, must be at least two years ago, um, declared that you had to be on a register to actually offer spirometry. That has actually put, been put on pause just to let everybody know, so not to worry too much about that. Um, and Louise has some information on the website site around training around spirometry, and we're looking at that in a bit more detail. So not to allow people to start panicking um, about the fact that they're not registered. I think that's really important to share. Have they said, Helene, they're going to pause it for how long or have they just said it's paused? They haven't said. They haven't said. Okay, that's lovely. Thank you, Helene, for being with us today. We know you've got to whiz off to another webinar. So thank you very much. And we'll catch up with you later. Um, and Helene is our, actually the source of all wonderful knowledge for um, nursing and spirometry and CQC. So do um, ask them questions if you um, subsequently think of anything afterwards. So, um, Michelle, I think we're going to go to you now for GBTPR. Yes, um, I have to write this down every time to make sure I get it in the right order. So GPDPR, so data for planning and research purposes. So this has um, caused much discussion and this is a system that's replacing GPES. As I say, it's caused a lot of discussion. And last week we put an update into our newsletter which highlighted some of the actions that practices may want to take. I think we just need to be clear that there has been um, an update to this. Yesterday it was released that this has been delayed until the 1st of September. So the action that I would suggest practices need to take currently is to make sure if there's anything been put on your websites or on Facebook, you need to just update the information to reflect the new date of the 1st of September. The BMA have been very much involved with this, trying to ensure that patients are engaged properly with this process. And they are very clear that the responsibility lies with NHS Digital for engaging with patients. And yes, really just to say that any further update or any further information that we get on this, we will share with practices. But I think the main, if you've put any information on your website, uh, we, we would suggest you go in and just amend the date and watch this space for further information. Just a comment that's come in, Michelle. Delaying has made things worse. We'll have even more patient requests to be excluded. It's hard, isn't it? We thought it was kind of good news it was delayed, but we can, yeah, there's two sides to this. Difficult. Thank you, Michelle. Um, Lisa, we're going to go to you now for um, a little bit of COVID news. 
Okay, thanks, Louise. Um, just a very quick COVID update uh, from me. Um, I, I guess just to reflect, the COVID vaccination programme has now been in existence for six months. So uh, an amazing achievement across practices. Um, as you may well already be aware, cohort 12 can now be invited in for vaccination um, stocks allowing. Second doses for all those aged 40 and above should now be brought forward. So the gap between the first and second dose for AstraZeneca is preferably eight weeks. Um, the roving SOP for Pfizer has been published. Um, the emerging Delta variant, um, now, now renamed uh, from the Indian variant, is now more prevalent and thought to be 40% more transmissible than the UK and Kent variants. Um, and healthy adults under 40 are now not eligible for AZ and will receive either the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine. Those aged under 40 who have had the first dose of AZ are eligible to have a second dose of AZ, but those under 40 who have had a first dose of AZ booked but not delivered will have their appointments cancelled and should be advised to rebook their appointment for Pfizer or Moderna via the NBS. Um, we also understand, but we, we don't have any more information at the moment, that trials are underway to look at the effectiveness of a winter booster. Um, and the Pfizer has been approved for the use in 12 to 15 year olds, but there are no decisions as yet um, that have been made regarding vaccination of secondary care, secondary school children. So that was just a quick update on COVID. In terms of vaccination status, um, uh, as some of you may already been aware and may have been contacted by your patients, um, pay, people who contact 119 to request a vaccination status letter, um, but where this cannot be issued, for example, due to incomplete vaccination information, will be told um, to contact their GP practice. Now, there is further guidance for practices on how to do this, which includes error letters, error codes, a description of the codes, etc., um, and, and which suggests comms for practices to be able to take the appropriate next steps. Um, we do appreciate this is a significant issue around managing your workload, and it's really not satisfactory. Um, and we also appreciate that practices may not be able to address all of the errors on behalf of their patients. Um, so there are contact details for the vaccine support desk and quality data quality team within the guidance so it may be worth re um, referring to that and we may be able to pop the details in the Q&A if um, Dawn has it to hand so we'll see if we can just circulate that to people. Um, so that was just a really quick update on COVID, all things COVID. Thank you, Lisa. And we can certainly put that link in with the FAQs and when we do any sort of, with, with the recording, we'll put all resources, we'll put the slides too um, for people so that will be all together in, in the recording. Thank you. Yeah. And just an apologise, I know it's an extra thing for practices to do. Um, and then the, the last thing that I wanted to, to mention was around cycle screening management. Um, the NHS cervical screening management system is to be introduced on the 30th of October later this year. It's been um, commissioned by NHSD. They've commissioned NHSX to develop a new IT system, which they say will be simpler and easier to use and will replace the current call recall IT system for cervical screening. Um, that's pretty much all we know at the moment. We'll obviously keep you updated on developments as we hear them, but it was just to make you aware that that's in the pipeline for later on this year. 
Thank you, Lisa. And it's Cervical Screening Awareness Week, I think, next week, isn't it? Um, and also we've heard that the training is going to be um, for admin an hour's training and for nurses an hour and a half training for that. But we that's just kind of great stuff. We haven't really heard that um, category at all. Just one question for you, Lisa. Why can't 111 all the patients log the case to the national team? Why do we have to be in the middle? And I think, and I'm sort of looking to other members of the team because I, I, I know that they've looked at it more closely. I think that's around who can make the changes, but I might have to defer to, I'm putting Dawn on the spot. Dawn, are you aware? Um, <clears throat> yes, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, practices can only amend what they've got in their own system, but um, patients can't go to all the different various places, hospital hubs um, and some of the other larger vaccination sites. They won't have access to those to ask them to make the changes. So you're quite right, very unsatisfactorily, they have to go to the practice who ha then has to contact the various vaccine um, uh, centres, the regional centres will put the details, um, as we said, from NHS Digital in, in the FAQs, um, so that then the error can be logged um, and that error will then be corrected, apparently, by whoever it was that first um, input the vaccination for that patient. Oh, there are a few more questions coming in. Let's just have a little look. Okay. So, um, Alex says, is there any guidance on recording vaccines from overseas? As this does not sit in a patient vaccination history, the NHS app or 119 cannot see it, so they're unable to issue any letters. So recording of any any COVID vaccines people have had when they were overseas. Anybody got any information on that? I can come in there, Louise, I believe, but I will go and check. Um, I think that question has been posed on the um, future uh, platform. Um, and I believe if the patient has got the record of their overseas vaccination, you can then add it to their um, you know, their NHS medical record within the practice so that it is sitting then within the medical history or the vaccination history. Um, so you would record that at a practice level as with new patients when you're rec recording their immunisation statuses. Um, and then once that's done, at some point, it should then, I say that, I, I, I wouldn't like to guarantee that it they should then show in the NHS app, but I know that I'm sure that's been posed. I'll have a look and we can put that in the FAQ. Yes, thank you, Don. That'd be really helpful. Um, just another comment coming from Marcus. If we produce a helpful information sheet, can we make it in a format can be amended just in case they want to add or personalise? Yes, of course we can. Um, so what certainly as far as the messages go for travel, we'll put the PowerPoint slides up just as you saw them. So absolutely you can take any any um, comments from that. But if we do something cleverer, we will if we can leave it in um PDF format, we will. It might be cleverer than that. So we will I'm not going to commit to that bit, but certainly as we've done before, if it can be a Word document or something that you can just personalize that's absolutely fine um, okay so going back to covid what if there's no record we don't always see proof for flu etc so yeah so if somebody comes in to say i've had a covid vaccine you need some sort of proof if they've had it abroad i think this is a follow-up if they've had it abroad they come into your practice and say please can you put it on my record for me you would need to say some sort of proof wouldn't you well uh, it's really difficult isn't it because I'm not sure there is going to be is there going to be proof I mean you could fake the card couldn't you you could make the card we all get a card just thinking about COVID vaccines we all get a card and actually you could fake that I think the document said something along the lines of reassurance that they've had it but I mean we could we could double check what we you know what the requirements are around checking but sometimes I think you've got to just 
take it at face value. Would be, but we'll we'll double check on that. It's, it's tricky. It's you can't you can't police it, can you? I don't. Yeah, it's difficult. Um. Okay. So just a comment. My daughter's had a COVID jab in New Zealand, and she had a letter with the details on it. I suppose the comment we were, what we're trying to say is you can fake anything, actually, can't you? So you can fake a letter, you can fake a. It's um yeah difficult. Um. I think we set ourselves up this bit, at least so I bring, blame you for this. So asking for some more handouts now. Can we have some sort of handout regarding um, living out of the UK, please? We've had patients wanting to register who have bought a flat in our boundary and will be working remotely in Barbados and coming on holiday at Christmas. They couldn't understand and became aggressive with reception as they'll be paying council tax, etc. People always go out and I pay your taxes, I've done my for all these years. And I, I sh that's a fairly common query that we get actually, Louise. So I think it probably would be really helpful if we, if we do put something together. We've got a page on registration, deregistration, which sort of covers the regs and rules, but I'm sure that we can do something a bit more patient facing um, and put it on that page of the website, but we'll put it in the newsletter next time as well. So. I think that would be, it has been an issue, hasn't it, for however many years, um, people saying I'm going to abroad on what the regulations are and what you can do. So, yes, if we can get something um, patient-friendly, I'm sure that would be helpful. So the regulations are quite clear. I think it's just making sure that it's... I think with COVID, there were exceptional circumstances about people being stuck abroad. Um, so I just... I think probably on an individual um, patient basis, it's worth looking at. But as I say, we could... Uh, as Lisa has said, we could pull something together um, and that could be given to patients as an explanation. The BMA have got a really good document on medication and prescribing if you're out of the country, so we could use we could in, use some of that too. Um, that's when, I, when I was on reception and I, and I had to try to explain to somebody, if I had a leaflet with this is the regulation on it, I can imagine that being really helpful. So good idea, Jan. Um, we will crack on with that one. So... Um, Lovely to see you all. We'll see you hopefully tomorrow. If not, we will see you at the next webinar. If you're never sure when they are, they kind of every other week, but there is a list of them on our website and it is the same link every time. So hopefully, this is through till November, so hopefully it's easy for you to put it in your diary and you can see that and, and we're not going to be cancelling and messing about with those dates. They're on the website and we will stick with them. Okay, thanks very much everybody. Bye-bye. Wessex LMCs, supporting you and your practice.